Father God, it's a privilege to gather before you as your people, uh, being reminded already in song and in prayer uh, and in our fellowship of all you've done for us in Jesus. Lord, as we come to your word now, please help us to have uh, eyes fixed on you, ears that are attuned to you, and hearts that are ready and open uh, to be shaped and moulded and encouraged and challenged by you, the great God who saves us. Uh, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Sunday, uh, Australia won the Cricket World Cup. Uh, I did check uh, before today's sermon how many times I've used sports illustrations, and it's actually been only three or four in the past eight or nine months, so it's actually pretty good for me. Uh, But Australia won the Cricket World Cup. It was a glorious victory for the Bagger Greens, and it was a heartbreaking loss for the Indians, uh, which is why Jess and Divya might not be here today, but we're not talking about that. Uh, But while apparently Australia played well in the finals, uh, the game that actually stands out in Australia's road to victory was actually three games before the final, Australia against Afghanistan, where the Aussies, they were staring at defeat. They were seven out for 91 runs, uh, chasing a total of 291 runs. If you don't know cricket, that's just a really bad place to be. (laughs) And that led to a magical performance by a guy called Glenn Maxwell. He hit 201 runs from 128 balls. I was watching it uh, on Fox Sports in my hotel room in the rain uh, on my road trip, on our road trip. And this guy, Glenn Maxwell, he hit 201 runs from 128 balls. Uh, He was battling major cramps on the field during his time batting. As you can see here, limping, crawling, shivering on the ground. He required medical attention, suffering through adversity, but he was standing firm in suffering, which ended for him and the Aussies in World Cup glory. You see, he had his eyes on victory, and he stood firm in the face of suffering to get there. And as we consider this concept, suffering to glory, this is what we're to walk away from today's passage with. The Christian life is a journey from suffering to glory. Stand firm in it. As we come to the end of uh, Peter's letter, uh, it's wise to remind ourselves of how it started and where we've been. Uh, Remember in chapter 1, if you have your Bibles open, chapter 1, verse 1, it started with Peter describing these believers as exiles, sojourners, traveling people waiting to arrive at their homeland. Then Peter, he described the glorious future that awaited them, new resurrection life forever, like an inheritance secure, waiting to be revealed, because they were, in fact, God's chosen people saved by Jesus. After this, in the middle of the letter, uh, Peter, he unpacks the implications of this for believers, how this future hope informs living for Jesus now in all of our lives, relating to human authorities, 
workplaces, in the household, and when you suffer for Jesus living this way, because that suffering will come. And as Peter ends this letter, he continues on the theme of suffering. He turns to the church, to leaders of the church, to believers and their general living. And Peter here reintroduces the theme that we saw right in the beginning of the letter. Glory. Glory and the glorious future that believers look forward to in Jesus. So as we tie off the end of First Peter Day, keep this phrase in mind. The Christian life is a journey from suffering to glory. Stand firm in it. And consider how God is challenging you today with this truth and reality. Well, as we look back at last week's passage, uh, Peter makes this comment at the end of chapter 4 in verse 17. He says, For now, for it is time for judgment to, be, to begin at the household of God. You see, here he calls the church to live unashamedly for Jesus, even amidst suffering that might happen or will happen. And as we get to today's passage, chapter 5, Peter, he turns to the household of God, and he turns first to those who lead it, the elders, the leaders and teachers of the church. Have a look at verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. See, Peter, he directly addresses the spiritual leaders in all of these local churches that he's writing to. He identifies with them. He says, I'm one of you. I'm in the same boat as you. I'm a fellow elder. And Peter also adds, I know all about the suffering and glory stuff. I witness Christ's sufferings myself, and I'm looking forward to this future glory too. Verse 2, we see Peter's challenge to the elders. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is a challenge here directly to elders. It's a word directly to me and our deacons, to our deacons going for re-election today, but also teaching us as a church about the role of our spiritual leaders in the church. And the challenge is this, shepherd the flock. Note the challenge here isn't manage the administration and do it well. Start ministries, keep the peace in the church, dominate and boss others around, be a great business leader. It's not to lead like the world around them does. It's not to abandon godly leadership. It's not to abandon Christ and compromise. It's to shepherd the flock like a shepherd leads his sheep, to care for them, to nourish them, to guard and protect them even, to do the work of overseeing God's people. And it's a spiritual oversight and shepherding, making, growing, and keeping and protecting disciples of Jesus. 
You see, there's so many types of leaders and leaderships in this world, and even in the church. But Peter says, this is what an elder, a leader in the church is to do. It's to shepherd the flock. And the challenge is described in three ways here. The first is willingly. It's not because you have to. It's not because it's your job or elected role. It's because you want to, and God wants you to. The second is eagerly, not because there's some sort of profit or gain. It's not to look good or for some material profit, but because you want to do the work. You're excited about shepherding God's flock. And the third is as examples, not as oppressors or dictators, not in a bossy way, but to serve and to exemplify the character of Christ to the flock, to point them ultimately to the lead shepherd, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. This seems to be pretty straightforward teaching, right? But we hear so many stories of this going wrong. Controversial pastor Mark Driscoll famously said about his ministry, you either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus, the bus being him and his ministry. Pentecostal pastor Creflo Dollar, he asked his church members to donate $65 million, I think that's US dollars, to buy him a new private jet. Then we've heard the more ordinary stories of dysfunctional deacons, lazy leaders, egotistic elders who hold all the power, profiteering pastors, leaders in the church serving because they have to, and they do the bare minimum, serving for their own gain and selfish reasons, serving for that, that power, to that feeling of domineering over others. So Peter, he challenges the elders and the leaders here. He says, shepherd the flock. That's what godly leadership looks like. That's what it looks like to witness to the sufferings of Christ, to live out and point people to the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection as leaders in the church, shepherding the flock, doing good, leading God's way, even if it means suffering, willingly serving, eagerly shepherding, exemplifying Christ's loving and sacrificial service. That's leadership that makes much of Jesus. Verse 4 completes the suffering and glory theme. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The Christian life is a journey from suffering to glory. And leaders, while they, while you might suffer now in unique ways because of your unique role in the church, it's not all and only suffering. Because they, because you look forward to glory too, receiving the crown of glory, looking forward to that future day of salvation on the last day. So if you're a church leader here this morning, or if you aspire and you want to, or you uh, look to that role, Christian leadership looks like shepherding the flock, willingly serving, 
eagerly shepherding, being an example of Christ's loving and sacrificial service, shepherding the flock even if it means suffering, fixing your eyes on that glorious future of life with Jesus in eternity. If you're a member of the church, if you're part of our church, this is what leadership of the church is. It's not about running a business, but shepherding the flock. Encourage and challenge me and our leaders as they serve willingly, shepherding eagerly and exemplifying Christ to you. And if you're visiting this morning, maybe you've been confused about what church leadership should look like. You've seen abusive leaders, profiteering pastors, lazy leaderships. Well, today's passage shows us that biblical church leadership, it's about shepherding and tending for God's flock, pointing them to Jesus willingly, eagerly, and exemplifying Christ. Well, as we keep going, uh, this truth that the Christian life is a journey from suffering to glory, it's not church leaders that live this out. It's a way of life for all of us, for all believers. And as we come to the close of this letter, it feels like Peter, he's giving his final challenges in how this living hope of this glorious future one in the risen Lord Jesus affects us as believers today. And in these last few verses, we find five commands, five imperatives, do this or be like this, exclamation mark words in these next seven verses. And I've grouped them in two closing challenges, each with a command, each resulting in a different lifestyle to the world around them, each attracting suffering, and each with a reminder of future glory. And the first is this, be humble toward one another. Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. He starts with a comment related to the last section. We're all to lovingly submit to our elders. Here, not just talking about age, but the office of the leader. But Peter singles out the younger adults in the church. You're the ones most prone to reject leadership. So here's a reminder. Submit, be subject to your leaders. But then Peter, he moves to address the whole church. And he points out the big picture challenge. Because being subject to one another, whether it be to elders or from earlier in the letter to worldly authorities, bosses, wives to husbands, it follows out of this Christ-like action of humility, being humble. Verse 5 continues, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. You see, we're all to be humble toward one another. And this is different to the world, because the world says be proud, 
Be yourself. Put your needs first above others. Put your preferences above others. Get your share of the pie before others. You do you fight for what you want. But listen to Christ's example. He says, serve the needs of others first. Put their preferences first. Love them as you would yourself. Fight not for your good, but for their good. Willingly sacrifice your good for theirs. Peter's already highlighted this beautiful throughout this letter. For example, the end of chapter 2 says this. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Just like that song we sang before. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And humility is hard. There's suffering involved when we put others first. And being humble attracts suffering. Two people might ridicule you or shame you out for living this way. So Peter reminds us here too of the glory to come. Suffering to glory. That future day when God exalts us, when God saves and exalts and rewards the ones who have trusted in Jesus all their days. So let me ask you this morning, how have you been going in being humble towards others, in clothing ourselves with Christ-like humility? I'd like to think that I'm a humble person, Angela laughed. But the more I think about myself, the more I see myself as naturally self-absorbed. I fight for myself and I justify it. I say to myself, I deserve it. I'm being fair. It's okay to fight for myself. My needs do matter. I've sacrificed enough, so it's time for me. And I think we're all naturally like this. We think that the world revolves around me, that my preferences matter more than others. We excuse our lack of humility, but we all, in our sinful struggles, we struggle with being humble. So God's word calls us, look to Christ and clothe yourself with him with Christ-like humility. Look to the cross and take the example of Jesus. Be more like Jesus than the world around us and fix your eyes looking forward to the day that God rewards you in glory with life forever. Suffering to glory. Here are a few ways that we can grow in humility in our lives. I've taken these from an article written by 
Jane, Tua, and Ozzy. Uh, she says, thank God often and always. Praise Him. It's amazing how much prayer helps us to be humble. Confess your sins regularly. Be ready to accept humiliation. It's okay that we might fail or be wrong or to be at the bottom of the pecking order. It's okay. Don't worry about status. Don't think about whether something is going to look good or not. Aim to serve. Have a heart for others. Listen to others. Ask questions. Consider others above yourselves. And the final challenge Peter gives before he wraps up is this. Resist the devil. Have a look at verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. See, this challenge, Peter, he uses three commands to emphasize it. Be sober-minded, be watchful, resist him. Because we need to remember that it's not just a battle of flesh and blood, but a spiritual battle between light and darkness, and there is an evil one at work behind all this. The devil, Satan, the deceiver, a fallen but formidable foe, who's fallen, who's defeated at the cross, but who's still roaring, intimidating believers, wanting them to capitulate at the prospect of suffering, to give up their faith when it's too hard, and to put on the world instead of clothing ourselves with Christ. We heard a few of those stories last week from Tim. Be alert, be watchful. And the final command in verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith. This action Resist him. It's an active action. Stand firm. Fend off. Say no. You see, if Satan is real and he's prowling around like, an, like a lion, I think it's pretty dumb to ignore him or to pretend that he's not there. So when Satan whispers his taunts, it's not, the, it's not worth the pain to live for Jesus Just live out the comfortable Aussie life that everyone around you is. Just put yourself first and forget about others. That job is worth compromising a bit. That relationship is worth compromising a bit. That status amongst your friends and family is worth saying no to Jesus for. You see, we're called to be sober-minded, to be clear, to be watchful, and to actively resist him, and to do this firm in our faith. That means firm in our trust in Jesus, firm in the assured hope of that glorious future of eternal life, firm that living for Jesus today truly does bring maximum joy and glory forever. And in our resisting of Satan, 
know that you're not alone. That's where Peter goes to. Because that's how Satan wants us to feel. He wants us to feel like you're the only weird one. Everyone else is living like that, conform to the world around you. But Peter reminds these followers of Jesus in the backwaters of the Roman Empire. He says, you're not alone. People of Jesus are living for Jesus all around the world. They're suffering for Jesus. They're being humble because they're following Jesus. They're resisting the devil all over the world. I think that's one reason why we gather weekly as a local church, for all of us to know that we're not alone in living for and suffering for Jesus. You see, that's why we partner with other churches, for people in our churches to know that we're not alone in living for and suffering for Jesus. That's why we support missionaries and missionary groups, so our partners know that they're not living and suffering for Jesus alone, and even that we, as the partner church, to know that same reality too. So resist the devil, firm in our trust in Jesus, firm in our future hope, knowing that you're not alone in living for and suffering for Jesus. And Peter rounds off this challenge and really, I think, the whole letter with this beautiful picture of future glory. Verse 10. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, suffering now, in resisting the devil, in living for Jesus, it will lead to future glory. You see, on that last day of salvation and judgment, Peter says that God himself, he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. He will say, himself to those who trust in Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've lived for Jesus. You've suffered for my sake. Welcome to glory. Welcome to eternal life in the new creation where that living hope will one day be a reality forever. And we see today's theme yet again, the Christian life is a journey from suffering to glory. Stand firm in it. So as we consider this second challenge, Peter calls us to actively resist the devil, to be firm in our faith in Jesus and to know that you're not alone in suffering for Jesus. How are you going in these today? Are you actively resisting the evil one? Or maybe you're a bit ignorant of the work of Satan in the world and in your life. Are you firm in your trust in Jesus when suffering hits? Or maybe you need to speak the good news of Jesus to yourself, 
to be firm, strong, and solid in your trust in Jesus? Do you know that you're not alone in suffering for Jesus? Or maybe you need to embrace the brotherhood and sisterhood of your fellow suffering followers of Jesus more. And if you're struggling in any of these efforts, that's okay. Keep going. Keep plodding away day by day. Fill yourself with God's glorious promises here. Know that God himself will restore, confirm, establish, and strengthen you as you keep living for Jesus. Well, as Peter rounds off his letter, uh, we get to his concluding words written in the typical fashion of a letter. Uh, Verse 12 says this, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Here we learn a few things Uh, Silvanus is the one who transcribed the letter. Peter, he's in Rome. Uh, Babylon seems to be this code name for Rome at the time among Christians. And even the word Babylon, it means a place of exile. And it shows that Peter and the church in Rome also see themselves as exiles, like Peter wrote in 1 verse 1. You also see Mark here in Rome. Uh, He's the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. But even in this conclusion, Peter, he doesn't waste his ink. He gets to squeeze in one final challenge. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. He's saying that this letter, these truths highlighting the glorious future they have of life forever in Jesus challenging them to live for Jesus and do good, even in the face of suffering and looking like foreigners, travelers, and exiles. This is the true grace of God. This is the true gospel-shaped life. This is the true way to live for Jesus. This is the true way to respond to our risen Lord and Savior, the one who died for our sins and was raised into new life forever. This is the true grace of God. So stand firm in it. Stand firm in this life of suffering now, looking expectantly and excitedly as certainty at the future prospect of eternal glory. Fix your eyes on life forever with Jesus, salvation life in God's new creation. Fix your eyes on maximum glory forever with Jesus. And that's what this part of God's word impresses on us today. The Christian life, the gospel-shaped life, the life of following Jesus is a journey of suffering now to future glory. Stand firm 
in it. Maybe this morning finds you standing firm in the midst of living for Jesus, suffering for Jesus, plotting away for Jesus in your day-to-day ordinary life, being humble towards others, resisting the devil. Then stand firm in it. Keep going, knowing that you're living out the true grace of God. Keep fixing your eyes on that future glory that awaits you. Maybe this morning finds you trusting in Jesus, but still figuring out what it looks like. Maybe you're struggling with being humble towards others or resisting the devil. Well, Peter, he presents the Jesus-shaped life. He presents this as a journey of a suffering now to future glory. And Peter, he calls you to gaze at that glorious future of eternity with Jesus. And for that glorious future to fuel you to keep living for Jesus today. Maybe this morning you're curious about Jesus. You're still weighing him up. Well, the Christian life is one of suffering now and glory later. Trusting in Jesus means living completely for him now as Lord and Savior, even if it means suffering or ridicule or persecution now. But let me tell you, trusting in Jesus is so worth it. Because trusting in Jesus, living for him, it looks forward to the best thing ever, a glorious future, the only future that lasts forever, eternal life in God's new creation with Jesus, maximum joy, maximum glory forever. And that's really the challenge for all of us as we finish our series in First Peter to look at that glorious future that awaits us one day in heaven, that glory of being with Jesus forever, maximum joy, maximum glory forever. And to let that image, that future, that certainty flow into living unashamedly for our Lord and Saviour today. Let me finish with 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Christian life is a journey from suffering to glory. Stand firm in it. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, you've caused us to be born again through the work of Jesus on the cross. That by your gracious and merciful hand, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins in our place. And he rose victorious from the grave to new life forever. Our Father, help us to put our trust in Jesus so that we might share in this new life of Christ. And Father, help our trust in Jesus to shape our whole lives from our thoughts, 
to our emotions, to our actions, to our relationships, our workplaces, and through all our words and deeds. Help us to live the way Jesus wants us to live. And Lord, help us to keep living for Jesus even amidst suffering and adversity. Help us in being humble to others, forsaking others and serving others, forsaking ourselves and serving others. Help us in resisting the devil, actively breaking the chains that he has in our lives. Father God, remind us that living for Jesus is so worth it. That in Jesus we look forward to the best future. The day when you appear and make all things right. And where your people enjoy life with you, our creator and God forever. Help us to stand firm in this we pray. Amen.